Well, welcome to Hope Leads. I'm Wes Lane. Several podcasts back, my guest was Ilinda Jackson, who shared with us about the challenges of female inmates succeeding once released from prison, having a safe place to go and a job where at the top of the factors contributing to their long-term success and reintegration into society. Well, a year or so ago, I was invited to attend a graduation at Mabel Bassett Correctional Facility. It was a class of perhaps 20 or so female inmates who had successfully uh, completed a cosmetology school and were soon going to be released from prison with a state license to work as a cosmetologist. The atmosphere was both electric and moving. Smack in the midst of all the celebration was a redheaded fireball cheerleader and catalyst for the entire program called RISE. For those of you who find yourselves overwhelmed and wondering how can you possibly climb out of your circumstances and thrive, this podcast is for you today. Uh, As you're surmising, my guest today is, in fact, that fireball change agent I watched lead that graduation, whose story is both remarkable and inspiring. And so without further ado, allow me to, uh, to welcome the irrepressible Christy Luther. Hi, Christy. Hi, Wes. Thanks for having me today. Oh, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. I've been, I've been uh, wanting to do this for some time. And so before we launch into uh, the program itself, let's, let's go back in history. You're, you're not originally from, even from Oklahoma, are you? I'm, I'm not. I'm a Memphis, Tennessee girl and was raised there. And, uh, when I was in high school, my last years, we moved out here to Oklahoma. I so, see. I see. And so, uh, uh, what, what, what did you work to, to Oklahoma City here? I'm, I, I've lived here the majority of my adult life and have uh, worked here. I call it home now. Okay. Well, what was your you you went on to uh, have a career in in the in the field of of uh, of, of, of beautification. Yes, uh, indeed. So, so, so how did you get into that? Um, right after high school, uh, I just decided instead of going to college, um, uh, in a natural sense, just to go ahead and go to vocational training and get my cosmetology license. I kind of grew up in a salon setting. One of my very favorite aunts had a long time old school beauty shop and I would go and sweep and I loved it. You know something? I have an aunt who she had in a, in a, in the back part of her house, a, a beauty, she was a beautician yep. too. And, yep. and she had all the hair set, you know, the whole setup back there. And these ladies would be back in the back of her house. And, uh, <laughs> yep. I can uh, see that. That's exactly the same. Well, so, all right. So for, as is the case with so many of us, uh, I mean, so many things to get started. It, it, it comes out of some personal angst some some something that uh, uh, that is this moment of change and you so you had something I mean you didn't just all of a sudden decide uh, you know here I am uh, a cosmetologist and now I'm going to start uh, a program up in prison there were some things that that really were sandwiched between those two points could you share those absolutely um <clears throat> I kind of grew up in a in a childhood where uh, I was the oldest and, um, 
you know, I, I wasn't so crazy about being a redhead back then. I got teased about it a lot. And um, I just needed to kind of find my place. So I always felt kind of like a fighter, you know, along the way. And, um, and in that, um, after I became a cosmetologist, I did decide to go to, to take some college classes and, and was married and had a daughter and became um, a salon owner. And um, in that, you find that your life, you know, life is busy. And um, if you haven't dealt with some of the broken areas of your life, they kind of tend to catch up with you. And I didn't grow up in church at all. And um, so I needed a savior. And I tried to do all the saving myself and it just didn't work out so well. And um, there, you know, there were uh, plenty of other broken areas in my life, Um, you know, losing family members and addiction and just living rogue, really. And so that's kind of kind of established who I thought that I was as as an adult. Well, still, though, that, uh, that so there's still a few more dots to connect there before. Yes. Uh, that so go right ahead. OK. Um, so with life being busy and kind of spiraling out of control, um, I began mixing medication that was prescribed by my doctor so I could justify it that in that way um, with a few glasses of wine here and there. And did I mention I thought it was okay because my doctor told me <laughs> and it got out of hand. And um, so in February of 2007, I, I was driving, um, coming back from a friend's funeral um, in Atoka. Um, never had been there before and everything that I just told you about my prescriptions and, and, um, just life. Um, I, I had a terrible, tragic accident. Um, and a man lost his life because of me. And, um, that started my downhill spiral even more. Um, and so when, when that took place, um, I lost everything. I had to file bankruptcy. I lost my family, my salon, um, what little identity I had in myself. And um, I was out for a year just trying to, um, they were trying to figure out whether or not I was going to go to prison at all. And after a year, they decided that I would um, be sentenced to five years for DOC custody. Um, that particular charge carries four years to life. So it was by God's graciousness to me that I got a lesser sentence. And then I found myself in prison for five years. Well, so as, as so many times uh, takes place, it's, it's uh, when you, when you find yourself in a, in a circumstance that's overwhelming that that actually becomes uh, a place upon which uh, God takes us into a different direction. Yes, he does. What was, uh, so when you first showed up, see, see we've, we've talked to people who've been on the outside or have worked for DOC, but we've never talked to somebody who's been actually someone who uh, has been uh, in inside. And of course, you're, 
your conduct on this particular instance. It wasn't like you'd been engaging in this long life of crime and you just finally got caught. This was a different matter. It's true. It was. Um, it was a, the first time I'd ever um, been in any trouble. And, um, of course, I, the guilt and the shame of that incident and that accident, uh, I still carry it. Even though I know Jesus nailed it to the cross and I am forgiven. And it took me a very long time to believe that and trust that. Um, but, um, you know, I, I live with that daily. And I want to live the rest of my life uh, in honor of the family. And I want to do everything I can to bring glory to the Lord out of um, the beauty from ashes, you know? Well, and, 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 and I've just got to ask, I mean, just as a, as a guy who's dealt with a lot of, of victims in that kind of circumstance and, and that have experienced that in my own family, I've experienced uh, that. I, how did did you and the and this man's family? I mean, did you all ever have any conversation in the aftermath? I mean, how did that work out? We we did have um, uh, we did have a brief conversation, and that's when I um, I was able to go back for my year review, and the family was there. Um, I did receive a, a lesser sentence originally. And I know my mom and my sisters, they spoke with the family and the family said, you know, she has little children. And so we don't want her to go away, you know, forever. We, we do. They needed that time from me. Um, and rightly so. Absolutely. Rightly so. Have we um, have we made amends and had a conversation? Has there been a, a table full of forgiveness? I, I would say no. Um, that would be my prayer above all things. Yeah. But I also had to be in a place where uh, if that never happens, that I still know that I'm forgiven by God and I'm still going to live my life in honor for uh, the family and what they've been through. So how long were you actually in uh, behind, behind bars? Well, I received a five-year sentence and because um, – of good conduct and, and different classes and things that you can take. I served four years, four months, four weeks, and one day. Well, you almost served the whole thing then. Uh, well, let me ask you this then. So what was it like? I mean, you go from uh, being a cosmetologist, owning a beauty shop, uh, yeah. and now you are in prison. What, yes. I mean, what was that like, I mean, for, for, for you? Well, I, I owned one of the largest day spas in Oklahoma City, and I had 15 employees as well. And so we, I had a 4,000-square-foot house in, in Piedmont and Acreage, and we were, we were well-to-do. And so I was left with literally with, with dust, with dust. I lost it all. My children went to live with their dad. Um, I lost my salon. I lost every personal belonging. I lost my dignity. I lost myself. And in a strange way, I received so much peace because the it was finally over with in the fact of my chasing, my chasing the dollar, my chasing my plans, my goals, my chasing, my running, my hiding. And I finally just, the Lord gave me such peace to just sit down and say, okay, um, Unfortunately, 
uh, I'm in prison. Unfortunately, this is what it took to to cause me to look up to my Savior. Was this a, was, was, were you actually uh, uh, at the DOC at the at the time that you you found uh, the Lord, or had this been a rekindling? No, it was a rekindling. I was um, I received salvation uh, August eighteenth, nineteen eighty eight, on my lunch break, uh, and it's a great story. <laughs> it's a great story. Um, I got baptized uh, on my lunch break and went back to the salon soaking wet to do a perm, and I was changed forever. God has jokes because He put me in a Christian salon at the time, and and again, I did not grow up knowing the Lord. So when I was in prison, uh, I had wanted to live right and, and raise my children in the admonition of the Lord and to, to, do, to live a good Christian life. I just didn't know how to. And so by being in prison, I just immersed myself in the word and just stayed there and camped out there every hour of the day. I was able to go to Victory Bible College, and I graduated from Bible College. And so that was just like sitting at his feet for eight hours a day and learning. And um, he had a plan, you know. Well, and in regard to that plan, so what? So you're there, and you're there for over four years. And and I, how about the relationships? We, we, we hear a lot about, uh, or we see pictures of, or we hear how Oklahoma incarcerates more women per capita than anywhere in the world, I believe. Um, and, and so what was your observation of the people that were, uh, the women uh, mm-hmm. specifically, because uh, that's all, all female uh, facility. So what, what was your take on, on their stories? Well, I I felt very successful in the world. So I came in with some preconceived ideas and and some judgments, which were unfair. And um, prison and education and death are are great equalizers. So uh, it it brought me to a place where I had to look at myself as well. And so what I found was some incredible women, some women who were brilliant and beautiful and moms and sisters and wives that made terrible mistakes and just like everyone else. So I worked in the beauty salon there. And so um, everybody would ask, you know, hey, can you cut my hair? Can you cut my hair? Which, which gave me some leverage to create some really great long lasting friendships, even to the, to this day. And um, I don't know. You get to be popular on the yard, if you will. And um, uh, I just, I just, uh, can I use a prison term? Is that okay? They they say, ride your bunk like a punk, which means don't get off of it. You stay in your word and don't get in the trouble. Don't get in the mess. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just, God gave me, such discernment while I was in that place to seek to understand because we aren't born racist. We aren't born hateful and mean and, um, you know, criminals. We're not born that we learn that through our life experiences or our worldview. And, um, God it helps me to, to, to just see people for who they are, seek to understand. Why are you angry? How can I help you? How can I pray for you? What can I do to to love on you and to extend grace to you? 
You know, there was some moment, Christy, at, 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 in which she had to start getting a glimmer on on how to how to help uh, these ladies. Now, what 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 was the transition point on that? I mean, uh, right now, as, as you said at the get go, you know, you're 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 popular because you you're you're obviously you're because you're a nice person, but you're also helping folks. You're doing their hair. You're you're just you're doing all that sort of stuff. And so, but at some point in time, there you, you're you're thinking a different outcome. Uh, it, and truly, it's it's all the Lord, and I'll give Him all credit. But I remember being in the the two woman beauty shop at Eddie Warrior Correctional Facility, working there, and I literally was doing a shampoo on a lady's head, and I feel with everything in me that I heard the Lord say, "You're going to start a beauty school," which I turned around and laughed, <laughs> and I did laugh at him. I said, oh. "What?" And um, they kind of put me in a supervisory position, if you will, because I'd been in the industry for so long as new girls would come in. um, Hey, Christy, watch them do a haircut and let me know if they're good. If they're good, we'll hire them to work in the beauty shop. Well, I kept watching these girls do haircuts and they were terrible. Mm -hmm. And I said, but I thought you told me you'd gone to, to cosmetology school. And they said, no, I got arrested. No, I didn't finish. I didn't finish. And I began thinking and asking them, if you could do one thing, what would you do? And they said, gosh, I would go back and finish. I would go back and finish. And so with that together, with hearing God's call on my life, it was inevitable. I I couldn't see it happening. I just didn't understand how God would, would pull it off. But here we are today. And uh, I wasn't laying my hope down at all. I believed if he said it, that he was faithful to complete it. Well, I love so that, I love the fact that 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 you're you're there, you're 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 shampooing somebody's hair, and you hear uh, uh, the Lord speak something. I mean, I mean, was that just out of the blue, or was that was that in, were you like having a, a little conversation in your head, or, or what? Well, they didn't know that while I was shampooing them, I was praying over their heads every single time I was praying uh, because the first part of my life behind the chair, I didn't do so well on representing the Lord. And I didn't uh, use that as a means of ministry uh, to bless people. So I, I told the Lord that from here on out, whatever I do, I'll use my chair as a piece of ministry, you know, so I can pray for the women so I can minister to them. And I think it was just a culmination of my thinking and hearing these ladies say that they'll never, you know, they'd never graduate or or they would finish if they could. And it just seemed like a ridiculous idea, which is what God, he says, dig ditches while there's a drought, you know? And, and so I believed that it was his plan all along. And I then I felt like I was living life on mission. Like, okay, you've got to do this. You have to do this. Let's get to the next place. And then I began working in the law library as well. And I would help people with their post-conviction reliefs and some of their appeals. And I got to be the girl that changed out the ops for the DOC manuals and every new operational procedure that came in. I knew it like the back of my hand. And I use it to this day to operate a tool cage. I use it to this day to comply with what DOC asked of me. And I'm well acquainted with the DOC rules. 
Well, how, all right. So, so at some point in time, you you go from this place of which start a beauty school and and you and you start executing on that. I mean, yes. how 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 hard was that to to pull off? You should have seen some of the facial expressions <laughs> that I received. One of the people that, uh, and you know her well, uh, Dr. Laura Pittman, um, mm-hmm. I approached her while I was still incarcerated and she would be at one of the facilities. And I said, you see this face? I'm going to come see you when I am released. And I would like to talk to you about starting a cosmetology school. And she said, okay, lady. <laughs> and I'd see her again, maybe a year later. And I said, do you remember me? And so I began speaking it into existence and I believed that God had said it and it was going to come to fruition. And there was no stopping me at that point. I just, um, I've known to, to kick doors down. Well, is it, are there very many people that start schools and the like? I mean, I mean, for uh, uh, Laura Pittman, who is a remarkable gal um, and, and, a, and a big stick in the DOC. I mean, she is. You sound like she she wasn't at first buying what you were uh, <laughs> what you were promoting. Well, I, it had never been done before. So no. for at the time, I was an offender or an inmate. For me to come up to someone that's a higher up in DOC to say, "Hey, I'm going to start a beauty school here," <laughs> it seems improbable and impossible at the same time. And um, I. I think she was amused at first. And then the more she saw my face, I think she realized that I was not kidding. I was not teasing about it. I was, I was going to track this down. And I believe that every step of the way, God opened the door every step of the way. And sometimes it's, it's that. It's how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And so after my release, I went to go see her the day after. And I showed up at her office and she said, oh, my goodness, you're not kidding me. Here you are. And I said, what can we do? So we had that conversation. She encouraged me to talk to Sherry Llewellyn at the cosmetology board. I went to her with a felon label on me and said, hey, how do you think? What do you think about that? And she said, that's a great idea. You have my support. And then five years went along and planned and and prayed. And I got to speak at Rick Warren's church in California. And while I was a celebrate recovery testimony, and while I was on stage, I said, we're starting Oklahoma's first cosmetology school in a women's prison. And it's hilarious because I was either stepping out in such incredible faith or I was the most elaborate liar ever because I didn't have a dollar to do it or permission from DOC. But shortly thereafter is when it happened. But you know that really is. A, I mean, that's a great example. You're you're on at Rick Warren's. You know, what a. I mean, that's a pretty big outfit uh, right there. You are, and you're, you're just blurting out. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna do the first, uh, you know, cosmetology school there. And so there, that's a that that's a great act of faith. And so when did you start seeing the doors start? I mean, I mean, it took five years, Christy. I mean, that's a long time when you think about it. It took five years after your release for it to finally take place. What were the obstacles? I mean, what was it that 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 you found that you had to surmount uh, to get there? Well, one is just bearing the felon label. And it's still um, 
the enemy still uses it behind the scenes to remind me that I have a felon label on me. And um, so that was one of the obstacles. Um, I had to secure a job teaching at, uh, I taught at Central State um, College. And my boss found out two weeks after the fact that I was a felon and she decided to give me an opportunity. And so for five years, I was training and learning how to write a curriculum and, and putting together my theory program and um, perfecting my craft so I would be able to go in and teach. Um, With that being said, I applied to have a nonprofit. And so I applied for the nonprofit. We received that. Still just beginning the conversations with people and stepping out in faith, you know, asking people to believe in what we're doing, believe in our mission. And then I applied for a state sales tax exemption. And they said, you're not a school. And by that time, I had a certificate from the cosmetology board saying we are, in fact, a school. And um, I went to appeals court three times with them. And we now have sales tax exemption as a school. And that had never happened before either. (laughs) You know, you know, something that really comes out, you know, we have people that are listening right now. I guarantee it. They're listening right now. And and they are thinking they have dreams and they have and and they they, but they don't know what to do. I mean, what you what you are just now attesting to is a long term goal. I mean, it wasn't just get coming out and the next couple of months, the first couple of months it happens. and, and. is easy, peasy, and all that stuff. You, you had to somehow keep generating hope. What do you say to uh, that uh, person listening right now who's, who's really struggling, uh, but they, don't, they just don't know how to execute on their dream? I, I would just say, you know, to never give up. Always be able to give a reason for your hope. But I knew that I knew that I knew with everything in me, if the Holy Spirit speaks a vision to you, by gosh, he's going to see it through. And even on the days when I couldn't see, when we didn't have a dollar, when I I felt like my faith was failing, I, I stood strong in the promise by the Lord that we are going to have a school. I, there was no other option. And when people would tell me no, or that's impossible, I'm then I can't talk to you anymore. I have to go where Mm. I'm being fed. I have to go where people are my cheerleaders. I have to go where people are speaking life over me and praying over me and believing on me. I say no to the naysayers. I'll pray for them. But if they can't, um, if they can't agree with what I believe that the Lord has said, if they, if they're not on board with that, then, um, and we're surrounded by people, we're surrounded by people that will, will say, no, the Bible is filled with people that say, Hey, you can't do that. And, you know, it only took one stone in David's little sling. And that was all, not all five stones, just one. And, you know, if there's a mountain in front of us, we have the authority, we have the power to say that mountain, you better lay down. You know, but we can't be surprised if God hands us a shovel and tells us to get busy doing the work. And so I never, I never for one second in my life thought that God would not make this come to pass. And I just want to, you know, Christy, I mean, what you just said, and I hope you, you as the listener right now are, are picking up on this because there's a couple of things, but one thing that she particularly pointed out when she was really, when she became convicted that 
the instruction that she was giving, the vision was not just something she'd conjured up, you know, over a coffee break, but this was something that that the Lord had spoken to her heart and it brought life to her. Then she stopped hanging out with people who were going to speak death yes. on her on her dream. And and I'm telling you, that is so important. You know, the power of the tongue, there's life and death in the power of the tongue. And the people that were the naysayers, they were speaking death and you just had to step away from them. That's exactly right. And um, it's it's mind blowing uh, to this day. You know, uh, I drove up right before uh, all of this with the coronavirus and stuff. The last few days that I was teaching out at Mabel Bassett because we're uh, we're on sabbatical right now. Um, I would drive up to the prison and it's just gray cinder blocks. And the Lord reminded me that they're not just gray cinder blocks. They're stones of remembrance. And in the Bible, all throughout the Bible, we build, they built altars to the place where we're, we're to remember what God has done there. And so when I go inside of that school at the prison, I look around and it's, it's not cinder blocks to me. They're stones of remembrance. And God shows me that place. And he says, remember, remember when this didn't exist? Remember when Somebody said that this wasn't going to happen. And so every day, instead of me taking my job for granted, I go and I I look at the walls. I look at that place and I say, Lord, thank you for reminding me that this is all you're doing. You know, I have a DOC badge. I have a walkie talkie that I carry that belong, you know, it's the same ones that the officers use. I have keys to the prison, yet I have a felon label. You know, and it shouldn't be. It it shouldn't be. It's it's mind blowing to me. That's that's God is faithful. It's mind blowing to you, and it's goose pimply to me right now because I'm telling you because, because folks, what she's saying right there is is just a great. I mean, it, it's favor. It's the favor of yes. God, and it's and when you have the favor of of Him, then that gives you the favor of of other folks. And so, Christy, now uh, you know when I when I showed up at that uh, graduation. And I don't know how long, how many graduations you had had at that point in time. Uh, but, but you've had, I mean, what I saw were women who were so excited at the prospect of life. That's not typically what you see in no. uh, that kind of circumstance. Tell us about tell us about these women that now have gone through. The, 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 I don't know how long the cosmetology school lasts or stand, but it sounded like to me that most of the ones that are they lice they get licensed, and it's just like on the eve of before they they get sent out, they're they're released from prison finally or something like that. Well, that was our second graduation that you attended. And so to date, we're in our third class and uh, we were scheduled to graduate about August. That'll be a little bit longer and that's okay. And you're welcome to come to that one too. Um, But uh, currently we've had um, 68 women in those are all three classes. We have had um, 42 graduate successfully and we've had 22 that have been released and the other ones are at different facilities right now and or still there. Um, the ones that we I have women that are working at Cape Bernard in the beauty shop 
I have the women working at Eddie Warrior in the beauty shop and also at Mabel. So they stay on to either work with me as orderlies if they're not released right away, or they work in the different facilities as hairstylists. And so the ones that have been released, um, 85% of them are out working in the workforce when we're all working and the governor hasn't said girls in the salon stay home. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're great for that mandate right now. We want to do everything we can to protect our communities and our families. Um, But uh, we have zero recidivism rate. We've got 100 percent state board pass rate. And as I said, like 85% of them are working behind the chair um, with their license and are living a whole different life. They have their children back. They're doing something for the first time that might be legal. That's legit, as they call it, Um, you know, paying their taxes and and being hard workers, sometimes for the first time. And on graduation, for many of them, that is the first thing that they've ever accomplished in their whole life. There's the happiness and the hope that you see. Anybody, when you think of a success story that anybody that just face just pops into your head that you think, I especially am am happy about this one? Well, all of them for sure. But one in particular, and I don't know that I would have had the courage to do it, but it's one of my graduates, Stacy, and she... um, she applied for an early commutation and the, the judge called her back while she was in the middle of this, of the class. And uh, I think you heard about it at graduation, but she was able to go that day. The judge was going to let her go home like eight years earlier that day. And she said, no, I can't. I have to go back to finish my cosmetology school. We'll be finished in six months. If you'll let me go at that point, he said, I can't. I can't believe this. So he remember that now that was was stunning. It was stunning. It it, remarkable. And I don't know that I would have the courage to do that or the strength. And she came back and she buckled down. She finished up. That was the first thing she'd ever done. She had been married since she was 15 years old. And she said, for the first time, I know what my first, my favorite color is. I know what my favorite food is. I'm working. This is the first time in my life I've had insurance. I mean, and her kids have rallied around her and she's living a glorious life right now. So what's the plan for the future? You, you've, you've launched this. You are, uh, I mean, you're, you're just, you're in the heavy duty redemption business. I mean, you're, uh. you are generating hope like all get out. And I want to remind folks, because we've talked about this before in the show, that hope, hope is a strategy. It is not this ethereal nothing. It's, it's that something. It's, it's people, and you've heard her talk this, but, th- but it's, this is the formula that you heard from Chan Hellman in, in an earlier podcast. And it was that hope is about setting a goal. It's about identifying a pathway to the goal. And it's about having the agency or the executing on the plan to get there. And what Christy's just been talking about has not only been generating the hope, establishing the goal and executing on the plan, following the pathway within her own life. But she's, she's now setting, she's set up these, these women for these, their own hope generating plans and it's restorative. It's life giving. And so what's the, what's the long term? Well, the long, the long term is, um, 
So after all this is said and done, um, you know, I, I stay in close contact with my girls. We Zoom and we we visit with each other every day because we all need the encouragement. So I'm grateful for that. But the bigger plan is, and then I'll say again, I feel like the Lord has told me to do this and, and it seems pretty big, but I'm reminded that he can do it. And so I'd like to have a... Uh, freestanding resource center. Right now we have a resource center. It's very small and it's packed out. I mean, we've, we've grown exponentially, which is a great problem to have, but we'd like our own freestanding resource center big enough with a parking lot where we can start taking uh, vehicle donations for our girls as they get out. Um, I'd love to start a school out here. Um, and out here means on this side of the prison fence, um, so that way, if they don't finish inside, we have a place to to partner with them and put them here underneath our um, covering. Um, also, we're looking at a transitional house right now, even as we speak, um, and we could fill three of them up easily right away. So those are just a few of the things that I feel like the Lord has put on my heart, and I'm chasing them down right now. And Christy, everything you've said there is is really uh, it's the holistic. You're you're wanting to be. You're not just even, I mean, you're giving them a, a career path, but it's, it's more than that ultimately because for, uh, for as we heard from Linda Jackson in, in an earlier conversation, I mean, it's, there's a lot of components to success. Yes. And, there's a, and so when you talk about a resource, it sounds to me like it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a center, it's a place in which you've really been able to harness all of the different components that helps these um, these ladies um, fully be reintegrated and be successful in the community. Absolutely. Yeah, you can't just leave them at the gate. They can't just get out and you say, okay, here's your license, bye. You have to partner with them. You have to link arms with them and you have to partner them and usher them back into an ever-changing society. You know, they're re-emergent citizens. And if they've been gone for 15 years, the world looks really different. In a matter of a month, the world looks really different to us that are living out here. So imagine 15 years and how technology may have escaped them. They need help learning how to work a smartphone or use a smartphone and how to use um, a laptop. They need help with driving lessons and how to operate a checkbook and and banking. You know, um, they need help maybe financially to... Um, to, to learn how do we do the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University and to teach them how to manage their money. Um, we teach them boundaries and, um, you know, marriage prep classes and healthy dating classes. They need to know that. Uh, we do recovery support with Celebrate Recovery. And, um, you know, there's so many different components. We have a resource center that offers, uh, they bring, that gives them clothing and their hygiene items, some small pieces of furniture, and also their career tools. So we give them everything they need for them to go right, right to work right away so that they can be self-sufficient. You know, it's the whole, you know, give someone a fish and they eat it for a day, but teach them how, and they're going to, they're going to get after it and they're going to, they're going to be able to sustain you know, a good, healthy, legal, living, um, successful lifestyle for the rest of their lives. And it's a joy to see them succeed. That is, that's the best part. That's the beautiful harvest for me, planting those seeds, planting those seeds. It's great. But to see them get out and go to a Thunder game, go to a movie with them, eat dinner with them, go meet their kids, 
you know, it's incredible. That is the reward for me is seeing them live their life well and that their children are flourishing too. That's well, awesome. <laughs> I wish you, wish you the listener could have seen her uh, face right then light up. Uh, you know, um, so this is the RISE program. It's R I S E. And I know that stands for something. What, what is it? It stands for Reentry Investment Students Education. We never call the ladies inmates at all. We call them students. We call them ladies. We call them women or girls. Um, I don't allow them to write their DOC number on anything that pertains to our school. I speak to them with their first name so they'll remember that the Lord speaks to us. You know, he calls us by our first name. So um, we the RISE program is taken from... Um, Isaiah 61 3. He gives us beauty from ashes and we will rise from the ashes. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. So, if somebody who's, uh, who's just heard you talk and they are thinking, you know, I might have some component part that might be uh, fill in a piece of missing puzzle to help one of these ladies be fully restored and, and reintegrated into society? How do they, how do they find you? Um, they can find me through um, www.riseprograminc.com. That's our website. Or they can email me at riseprograminc at gmail.com. Well, RISE, R-I-S-E program. That's not very hard. No, uh, it's not. So, Christy, you just, um, you have... you're an inspiration and so last just the last word you're speaking now to the man or the woman out there and and they're they're you know we're looking to look at look in the midst of all this COVID-19 business and and everything's so shut down there's so much fear going around and, and all of this what what do you say to these people in conclusion I would just say you know just Keep your, I mean, keep your hope. It's, we're having to learn outside of the box. You know, um, I understand what it's like to be on full-time lockdown personally. Mm. And what we're living on the outside is nothing like what they're living in the prisons right now. And they're the ladies right this minute are 24 hours lockdown right this minute. And so, you know, I would just ask that, um, if the Lord has spoken to you about a project or a program or a mission that he is faithful and that you would just keep the hope on that. But I also would just ask that if you would just search yourself and ask, you know, what can you do to better understand the population of those in that are incarcerated, their moms, their wives, their, their daughters, their sisters, you know, Jesus was incarcerated. Paul was incarcerated. I've been to that prison in, in Rome. I stood right in front of it. You know, we read in the New Testament about the, our, our heroes of faith that were incarcerated. And out of, that, out of that prison, you know, can come some incredible people who just made mistakes. You know, and we're kidding ourselves if we speed down the road, that's breaking the law. Or if we do something that's breaking the law, maybe somebody just didn't get caught, you know. And so if we would just extend grace and mercy and just realize that, you know, we all need a savior. That's probably what I would say. Just keep up the hope. Fight the good fight. (laughs) 
Well, you are uh, you are a fighter, and and you are a hope generator. And Christy, I just can't thank you enough for uh, being with us today on Hope Leads because you lead with hope. So God bless uh, you, man. Thank you. Look forward to that graduation ultimately taking place as soon as possible. So, yes, sir. Thank you, Christy. So let me give you some concluding thoughts. If Hope were a person in the room, what would she say to us? Well, I think, first of all, she'd say that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that an unchanging God designed, built you, and sent you into a moment of history as part of his loving strategy to transform a chaotic world and, and make it good again. You are called as change agents. Hope would tell you that she flourishes when we listen to God and set goals for our lives that press us further toward becoming that person God has always been willing for us to become. Hope would tell you to set action steps towards achieving those goals. They don't have to be giant steps. Start with baby steps so you can be encouraged along the way. But Hope would also tell you that you've got to not just make plans to step, but you must exercise the willpower to just take that next right step. Step by step by step gets you to the destination God has for your life. It's the long obedience in the same direction. And finally, hope would tell you that God sees us not as we are, but as we could become if we will dare. It's the same for our communities. As followers of Jesus, you are a sent people and all humans should flourish because God's kids are in town. What evil thing dies because you exist? No one else is coming. You're the generation sent to your community in this moment. You're it. Press into God's purposes for your lives and you will discover that hope abounds and that Jesus is still the God of the impossible. Once again, I'd be honored if you would take a moment to rate this podcast, review it, subscribe, and share it with someone who needs hope. We want to thank Brianna Gaither for the song, I Won't Rest Until, from her album, Vanity. Remember, you are fearfully and wonderfully made by a God who is willing for us to live meaningful lives of profound impact. I invite you to just show up and watch God show off. Like